Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament Lectionary Podcast for Preachers and Teachers. I'm Paul Esser, a PhD student in the Hebrew Bible program at Yale University. And I'm Tim McNinch. I teach Hebrew Bible at Christian Theological Seminary. The first reading for December 17th, 2023 is Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. This is the third of a series of Isaiah passages that are offered during Advent in year B uh, in the RCL. It's also the third of the episodes that we're recording live here at Trinity Lutheran Seminary. Again, thank you to our hosts for letting us do this with you. And uh, Paul, you have the wheel on this one. So what is the uh, what is the spirit upon you leading you to do with this passage? Indeed, yeah. Isaiah 61 is the passage in which the prophet describes God's spirit and anointing upon him to do various works of justice in the world. But before I get too excited about content, let's get into some background and context first. So the passage itself hints at some of the difficult, you know, background due to exile. Note in verse four, where references are made to the mortars, the the rebuilding of ancient ruins or the, the elevation of former devastations and repair of you know ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. I feel like all of that language is really descriptive of post-exilic events. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's probably worth reminding our listeners that this portion of the book of Isaiah was probably written not by Isaiah himself, the, the 8th century prophet, but by his scribal heirs in the period after Judah's return from Babylon in the late 6th century or later. And as you were saying, Paul, some of those references to the past pain of okay. conquest and exile, those are some of the clues that help us to place this book in that uh, what you called post-exilic context. That's right. Yeah. Very helpful, Tim. I feel like similarly, verses 5 and 6, proclaims an economic transformation where Judah is returned to an abundance of flock, of land, of vines, of, you know, possessing a double portion of wealth of the nations with strangers and foreigners serving them, you know, etc. in a very Ethiopian sense, right? So anytime folks imagined wealth and comfort to this degree in the Bible, it only meant one thing, that they actually were living in the exact opposite, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so that's also one evidence that they were in post-exilic context where they really had nothing, right? The other thing about such difficult moments like this is that there is competition for little, for the little resources that they had, leading to injustices of all kinds, which I'm sure is what echoes to versus eight, where robbery, wrongdoing, injustice, and you know, so on are mentioned. So again, we can say that this speech by Isaiah is coming at some difficult time after or during the exile. Yeah, that's that's helpful, Paul, to kind of set where we're listening, what we're listening to. Mm -hmm. So um, now that we've got that set, um, what do you want to draw our attention to in the content of this prophecy? That's right. Yeah, I would like to point out three things, right? Three very brief things. First, that the entire speech reads to me as some kind of a mission statement. It's a call statement detailing the prophet's assignment. So note that the prophet begins by speaking of himself as the sent one, right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then, you know, a few verses, a few sentences later, he has anointed me. And then a few sentences later, he has sent me, right? All of that is in verse one. The spirit, the anointing, the sending, 
all take the first person pronoun. Even more fascinating is whom he is sent to and what he is asked to do, right? Note that they are the poor, the sick, the imprisoned, essentially the suffering of society, people who are suffering in society. Mm-hmm. As always in prophetic literature, God and the prophet are on the side of these categories of people, right? One important thing to note while I'm talking about this is that uh, you know, the mission involves both speech and action, right? Likra from kara, right? The verb to proclaim, it appears twice in that same sentence, right? Lasum from the verb shum, right? To provide, right? It appears once and then latet from the verb natan, you know, appears one time to give, right? He understood his call essentially not to be just about speech alone, but of selfless deeds for the uplifting of other people, which is a really powerful way of describing his mission in a well. Yeah, I, I actually have never really thought about it that way. I get so focused on the the calling and to speak, the mm-hmm. to call out. I, I haven't really thought much about that um, deedly aspect right. of the call. Uh, so right. it's a message that comes with actions too. With, with things, right? With doing things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one other important thing about the, the same mission while we talk about it is that the work of the spirit and the and the language of you know anointing as as it's you know it comes with this mission statement right in verse one there's the ruach adonai right the spirit of the lord it appears multiple times in the rest of the hebrew bible from creation to exile right and one of the common things that it does for people in the bible is to empower them and then to send them off to do various works of service it is very similar here in this passage as well but here mm-hmm. It is paired with another important word, mashach, right? Which means something like to make special for God's use by smearing with oil, right? It is the same word from which we get Mashiach, the Messiah. Messiah. Yeah. 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 Which later was used to describe Jesus of Nazareth in the New Testament. So in some sense, uh, for me, this entire speech and, you know, the sent one are messianic, right? In that... They are both about a mission initiated by God's spirit and consecrated by the smearing of oil, making it sacred or divine or special. I feel you're kind of moving towards a preaching point here, huh? All right, so so, so give us a sermon angle. <laughs> yeah, I see a, a preaching potential there, right? The the sort of relationship between one's call, right? The 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 call that one gets from God. Uh, the commissioning by the spirit and the smearing of oil, you know, similar to what in many traditions happens in ordination services. And it could go several ways, but I invite preachers to explore this, you know, sort of tension and relationship between these three things. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. I, I feel like I often hear the term Messiah and I jump right to Jesus with that, right? Or what? calling, and I think of uh, those biblical prophets back then. But that's we right, yeah. can actually find ourselves drawn into this calling too and consider our own you know, anointing or commissioning to partner with God's spirit and, and bringing about these things that the prophet is talking about here. So there's a there's a call here that preachers could use to to draw their whole community into participation in what in what the prophet's talking about. Exactly, exactly. The other aspect of this call is sort of the outward, you know, aspect of it. You know, note the language of 
like justice and recompense and salvation and righteousness in the later half of the passage. For me, that part of the speech gives us insight into the nature, the very tiny detailed nature of God's justice and how it plays out in the world, right? For example, uh, God's justice in verse 9 hates what is wrong and pays back what has been stolen. It displays, you know, this sort of like uh, a justice in a very public sense. It mm. notice the language about being known among the nations and God's blessings uh, being acknowledged by the masses of the world, right? More striking is that God's justice causes righteousness to grow among people. We have said many times on this podcast that justice in prophetic text in the Hebrew Bible always go hand in hand with, you know, uh, righteousness. And in such context, righteousness is beyond personal piety or personal holiness. Rather, it is about God working among people to bring communal sanctification. That is, you know, an entire community giving a leg up to each other, especially those who have no chance by themselves of being anything in society due to broken systems. This is really fascinating when you think about the work of justice in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you all, but I'm certainly getting that communal flavor from this text, right? So before we go, Paul, can you say anything about this passage as specifically an Advent text and how it's connected to the story of Jesus? Well, sure, yes. I cannot talk about this passage without mentioning Luke chapter 4, right? It is uh, the passage in which Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at an important time in Christianity, such as Advent, Luke chapter 4 is important because it echoes Jesus' understanding of his own call and his own mission on earth. Aside from demonstrating how Old Testament passages are interpreted in the New Testament, you know, we celebrate Jesus' birth and look forward to his life, right? And like Isaiah, I believe that Jesus understood his mission as enacted by the Ruach Adonai, the Spirit of God coming upon him and Meshiachim him or Meshachim him, right? Sending him to do good works of justice in the world. And indeed, his title, Messiah, for me, should remind us first and foremost of his call to heal society of its brokenness. And so when Jesus read this first line in this passage, uh, and rolled back the scroll in Luke chapter 4 and said, this prophetic passage is fulfilled in your hearing. He was announcing hope to the oppressed as his mission is to lift up their weights. And there's certainly something there to be explored about the way yeah. our mission, our call plays out in the world and the way Jesus exemplifies that in his life beyond his birth. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad you brought in that aspect, Paul. When, when Jesus ties his own calling to this text that we're talking about here, well, he's affirming that his mission is part of something that God has already been doing among God, Israel exactly. for centuries. It, it wasn't brand new, yeah. but it was finding expression and fulfillment in a special and outwardly rippling way, right? Through Jesus' right. work, That's which, right. as we were talking about, is a mission we all get to participate in. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, Paul, I think that's a great note to end on for this episode. Thank you so much for all your work and helping us to get a grasp on this famous text. My pleasure. <laughs> okay, friends, that'll bring us to the end of this episode. First reading is produced by me and by Paul, along with Rachel Wren and Rosie Candethel. 
You can learn more about us and find past episodes on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. We appreciate all of you who are listening, and especially this Advent, our friends over at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University for hosting us during their Trinity Days. Until next time, I'm Tim. And I'm Paul. Enjoy Advent. Hey.